Over the last two weeks, we started this sermon series called It's Not About Me. And in this series, you'll remember the first week, we opened it up with that concept of what it looks like to die to self. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So in the life I live now, in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. It's a series on self-denial. It's a series on dying to oneself, dying to our own fleshly desires and our own pleasures and realizing, quite frankly, if I can be real with you, that our feelings often steer us in the wrong direction. You ever been there before? Yeah. We have to die to ourselves and live to the Holy Spirit of God. Now, last week, we talked about this concept that Christianity is not about being religious. It's not about living out a religion. It's not about living out some sort of guidelines, some sort of rules. What it is about, though, is living in an active relationship with our Creator. Now, tonight, what I'm excited about is we're going to move into talking about some serious issues that many college students, all of us really, face in our lives, and that is the temptation of sexual immorality. And tonight, I want to encourage you. We're going to talk about some hard stuff in here, and we're going to call it what it is. If it's sin, we're going to call it sin. We're not going to beat around the bush. We're going to call it sin. But many of us are in relationships, and we struggle with the concept of sexual morality. We struggle with temptation. Many of us struggle with lust in our mind. We struggle with how we view one another, and we turn people in our lives into an object. Whether it's for sexual gratification or whether it's just to get something out of them, we struggle with this idea of lust. And then a lot of us, if we're real, we're going to talk about pornography tonight. And we're going to talk about how we can find solutions to overcome these temptations that are prevalent in our lives, scripturally. And so if you're taking notes, I want you to write down at the top of your notes, it's not just sex panel. The title of tonight is, it's not just sex panel. And we're going to dive into some hard truths straight from scripture. Now I'm excited. I want you to help me welcome. I mean, seriously, they came out here to be with us tonight. I want you to make some noise. Make some noise as our panelists come up on the stage tonight. They're going to make their way up on the stage tonight, and we are so excited to have them. I'm going to give them a a moment to introduce themselves. I know that many of you have been praying for them, and they're very excited to be here uh, with us tonight. And we're going to be asking them some questions. These are questions that some of you sent to me. These are questions that uh, I wrote up, that my team wrote up, that we put together and really started thinking through when we were talking about marriage and dating and how to pursue someone. And so we're very excited about tonight. But I'm going to give them each first one. Hey, baby. <laughs> How you doing? Some of y'all, that's my wife, in case yes. you didn't know. Some of y'all are like, he does that with everybody? <laughs> I don't know about no. this place. The pastor's a little loose with it. No, that's my wife right there. That's my wife right there. Yes. I'll let her introduce herself, though. So I know a lot of you, but my name is Hannah Harris, for those of you I haven't met. And, uh, yeah, I am Daniel's wife, and so we've been, we'll be married for two years in November, which is crazy yeah. and exciting. Yeah. Whoop, whoop. So. You know what it is? Yeah. yeah, and so, and I'm an English teacher, and so I teach English at Bartlett Ninth Grade Academy. Hey guys, I am Grace Wade, and <laughs> hey guys, G Wade, so y'all call me that. Um, but I work here at Bellevue actually with our middle school students. So I'm our middle school director here, and have been here for about the past three years. I went to U of M, go Tigers, um, and was in your seat not that long ago. Um, so love the view and love Daniel and Hannah. <laughs> Hello, my name is Sean Abram, pastor of Binghampton Community Woo! Church. Amen. Yeah. I am very thankful to be here. Uh, I have a lovely wife, 17 years, four babies. So I just thank God for allowing me to be a part of what God is doing because God is up to something. 
Good evening. My name is Floyd Lee III. A lot of people know me <laughs> by my Christian rap name, Trey Lee. Um, I'm also a mental health advocate in the Mid-South area. Me and my wife started our own clothing line and mental health program called Honesty Brings Healing, where we believe a family that heals together, builds together. And my wife is the GOAT because she's been with me so long. So anybody that could put up with me is the GOAT. And we have a beautiful boy named King Lee. Um, he just hit terrible too, so continue to pray for me. <laughs> But I hope tonight you guys can um, see and receive my vulnerability as a bridge to connect you closer to God. My name is Ben Taylor. I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm one of the missions pastors here at Bellevue and uh, just have the opportunity to serve here. Uh, I have been married for 17 years as well. 2003 was a good year to get married. And uh, I have three children. I have a 12-year-old, a 10-year-old, and a 3-year-old. And so that's where we're at. Just glad to be here and uh, love the view, love the college ministry, and so grateful for the opportunity. Yes, isn't it good to see Ben rocking the view shirt? Amen. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Yes, very grateful to you guys. Well, let's go ahead and let's jump into it. If you're taking notes, we're going to start with the first question. It's going down to Ben Taylor, Dr. Ben Taylor. Ben, let me hit you with the very first question, and it is, before we get into the misconceptions of sex, we have to talk about the way God intended marriage and sex to be. And so, Ben, in what way did God intend the relationship of marriage to look like, and then how have we as humans messed that up? Yeah, and I think that's an important question for all of us. When we begin to look at what God uh, has done, we normally look at sex and talk about how that leads us to sin. Uh, but before we do that, I think we need to really look at God's original design. And when we, ha when we do that, we have to go back to the beginning. And by the beginning, I mean literally the beginning in Genesis. And when we look at Genesis, we really begin to see what God's true intent for marriage and intimacy really is. Uh, look in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. It says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and they will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. And then verse 27 continues, uh, so God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. This is the beginning. This is a summary of what happened and took what took place on uh, the sixth day of creation. And there's a couple, there's a lot here. And just let me break down a little bit uh, as we walk through and see what God here. First, I want you to see that God created Adam and Eve. Uh, there is so much here. Uh, God created male and female in his image. I want you to get that. There is not a person that's in this room that is not an image bearer. All right, male and female, he created them distinct, different from each other. Uh, and really as to complement one another. And that's important. I think sometimes so many, we try to be equals on so many levels uh, when it comes to everything, competition, uh, jobs, and those types of things. But we need to understand and embrace that God created us differently so that we would complement each other. Now get this, he wants us to complement each other emotionally, physically, spiritually, and intimacy, and, and, and through intimacy. And so it's just important for us to be able to see that. Now, in there, God gave Adam and Eve work to do. He gave them a job. And then he also says to, to be fruitful and multiply in, other, in another place. And so there's a, a lot going on in this. And so I want you to look at another uh, part of Scripture. When we look at this, uh, look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. 
Genesis chapter 2, verse 18 uh, it says right here, it says, The Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper corresponding to him. Now, if you go back to Genesis 1, it says, every, After every day, it is good. It is good. It is good. And so out of all of this, he says it is good. But then he recognizes as Adam is walking and he is naming all the animals and seeing that they are together in pairs, he recognizes that there is something that is not good. And it is that man is alone. Now, ladies, I want you to understand, you were the answer to the first problem on earth. Right? First problem is that man was alone, and he needed a helper that was suitable for him, and you were that answer. And then what we see here, we, go, we skip down to verse 23 and 25. Uh, looking at 23, if we can maybe get there. There we go. And it said, and the man said that... Uh, this one is at least my bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. This is the one who will be called woman, for she was taken from me. And the next verse says, this is why a man leaves his father and his mother and bonds with his wife, and they become one flesh. Now, I want you to get this. This is God's original design, one man, one woman, married for life. That's his standard for marriage. Now, in that, in that area, in that standard, he said, be fruitful and multiply. And get this, I love what verse 25 says. It says, both man and his wife were naked and yet felt no shame. In the bonds of marriage, in God's design, there is no shame. And when you walk and you step outside of those bonds and you step out of that, that standard, that is where you're going to feel guilt and shame. And he said, be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. Man, in short, can I explain to you what that means? It says have sex and enjoy it. Enjoy one another, but in the way that I have prescribed my standard. Does that make sense? And so when we begin to mess it up, uh, it, it all happened in Genesis chapter 3. And I won't time to, don't have time to go through all of Genesis chapter 3. But God gave man a command. He broke that command. And in that moment, he ushered sin into the world. And what that began to do was distort and dismantle God's standard, God's plan for marriage and intimacy. And what happens is you begin to see perversions of all kinds. And they walk through and you fast forward today, you see we have just continued to mess up and to distort and to dismantle what God originally designed. Now I want you to, to get this. And, and you have to begin to start to see who you are. Now guys, this is what, I'm just going to throw out some broad statements and you may agree with me or disagree with me. But many times guys, they begin to see uh, a woman, they begin to see someone of the opposite sex or somebody they desire, they look at it as something to obtain. So you go and you hunt, guys. You're hunters, right? You're hunting and you're finding that someone that you desire. And when you find that person, you set your eyes on them and you're thinking, they look good, right? Can I be honest with you? Most relationships don't begin with, I wonder how, what their personality is like. Okay, that, that was a little bit of a joke. Did y'all get that? How many of y'all just said, hey, you know, I don't care what you look like. I want to just start with your personality. No, that's not where we start. We start with our looks. And so, guys, they look and they obtain and they say, oh, there's somebody I like. And then what happens, if you're honest, guys, you start to set traps and disguise yourself so that you can catch what you want. 
And so relationships, they begin to bring in this, this dishonesty almost at the beginning because you're not your true self. And so you start there, and then when you obtain it, you quickly get bored. And, when, and especially when intimacy gets involved and you have allowed sex into that relationship before marriage, the guy gets bored and he goes and he tries to hunt something else. Now, girls, this is critical because I believe that a lot of you are struggling with where you get your value from. And I think many of those and most of those struggles begin at home because your father is not loving you and honoring you the way that you should be loved and honored. And so what you do is you seek to go and try to find that worth, that value in a relationship with somebody else. And then what you find yourself doing is compromising in the area of intimacy to hold on to that unhealthy relationship. That's where I see us messing it up. Taking God's original design and ending it and messing it up just like that. Now, those are broad statements. I've seen those roles reversed. But in the end, we have to look at God's standard. And that is one man, one woman for life. Divorce is not an option. That's amazing. I love what you said about there's no shame when we're in God's perfect design. And we have that opportunity because of his sacrifice. But outside of that, we're in a dangerous place. Hannah, my next question is for you. Um, as a woman who's ministered to a lot of us, to a lot of college students in the American culture, what are some ways that girls lose sight of the image that God intended because of the way that the world views sex? And how can we practically restore the image that God has intended for us? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question, a big question. So um, to start, let's talk about our American culture. And so I think if I could sum it up in one word, it would be we are an idolatrous um, culture. We, we are very, um, the sin of idolatry, right? We make everything into an idol. And our culture pushes the narrative that your image and sex, right, are idols that we worship. The definition of idolatry is the extreme admiration, love, or reverence for something or someone. That could even be yourself, right? Your image, the way you look, um, or other people through sex. And so, biblically speaking, idolatry is worshiping anything other than God. And I think Romans 1, and that's where we're going to go first, really sums this up best because Paul uh, in Romans is speaking to an idolatrous um, culture. See, this our culture is not new. Um, there's nothing new under the sun, right? And so um, Paul is ministering to a culture that quite like the one we live in, um, that idolized and um, elevated sex. And so Romans 1, Paul writes, he says, for all they, although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Now look at these next verses. These are the ones I would underline. Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts. Now look at what, what's the sinful desire. Look what comes next. To sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God, what Ben just talked about, that's the truth, with a lie and worshiped and, cre and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. I think that sums up our culture the best. Um, we idolize sex. Our culture, it admires it. It loves it. And ultimately, it worships it. 
Um, I would say that our culture is very anti-Bible. The Bible says that sex is between one man and one woman within the bounds of marriage, and our culture screams no, right? I mean, just look at Netflix. <laughs> sex is everywhere, right? You can't hardly watch a Netflix show anymore uh, without having a, um, a, a sex scene. And I was doing some research, and this is what I found. This was really interesting. There's an article um, that I found that was, made, that was written in June, okay, 2020, this year. Here's the title. It says, it's the best sex scenes Netflix shows have to offer, okay? And I want to just read the first quote from it. The intro, they start their article by saying, and I quote, we are truly living in the golden age of television. For proof, you look, need look no further than Netflix selection of original series and the absolute best shows from around the world. Besides all the compelling and groundbreaking series, we are also getting more sex. Steamy sex, polyamorous sex, non-heteronormative sex, end quote. That just wow. <laughs> we, it says that we are in the golden age of television because we are getting more uncensored sex. Not just uncensored, but more unbiblical, right? I mean, they say polyamorous sex. That is sex with more than one person at the same time, right? And again, God's intent, what Ben just said, was one man and one woman, right, within marriage. They say um, non-heteronormative sex. So that's sex uh, that is not between a man and a woman, right? So that includes homosexuality, that includes bestiality, that it includes um, uh, pedophilia, right? And that's what, that is what Netflix and this article is glorifying, right? And so our culture, I mean, goodness gracious, we see it everywhere, right? We don't just see it, but we hear it. If you look at the top, I looked up the um, Billboard's top 100. The first number two, the number one song right now is a song called Mood. And the second song is a song by Cardi B, whose lyrics I was going to quote, but I can't even say them from stage because they're so horrible. They're so inappropriate. So that's what our culture is listening to. And I teach ninth graders, y'all. I mean, that's our culture, right? They, they're listening to these things. They are um, watching these things on TV. And, and like, what is that teaching them as a ninth grader, right? That, that you can have sex whenever you want it with whoever you want to, as long as it makes you feel good. But that is not biblical at all. And that's a lie. I mean, it's a lie, honestly, straight from the pit of hell. Like, that's where it comes from. It's from the enemy. John 10.10 10 says that the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. And how he comes and destroys us is through image and through sex, right? And he says, because that's what our culture teaches us, right? It says when it comes to image, it says, look, your purpose is, is, is to look good, right? Is to, um, to get in bed with someone, right? That's, what it, that's, that's all these shows are teaching you, right? And in order to do that, you have to look the part. You have to play the part, right? And so, and if you don't look a certain way, you don't wear certain clothes, if you don't, you know, go to the gym five days a week, whatever, right? Is this perfect person, um, then, you know, then the, you're not gonna have the sex that all these shows are, are pushing at you, right? And so it's a narrative that the enemy is pushing on our culture. And um, you have to recognize that it, that it is an attack from the enemy, right? And what's sad about it is that we don't let uh, the devil work very hard against us, right? We buy into it by the things we watch, by the things we listen to, log onto your phone, right? The things we look at right before we go to bed on social media, the things we look at when we wake up in the morning, right? Um, 
And so it's, it's very easy to lose this battle that we're supposed to look a certain way um, and that sex is, is whatever we want it to be. And so, um, but I have some hope and I want to end with that second question of like, how can we restore our image back to, um, back to the way that God intended it, right? How can we, because what it is, it's a battle between worldviews and you have a choice, okay? You have the choice to either choose to believe what our culture is pers- pushing us, that narrative, or you can choose God's narrative, but it's up to you. And so, um, but there, and, and the great thing is we have a choice, right, is that there is one who is stronger than the enemy, right? That there is one who can break strongholds, right? That there's one who can set captives free and that there is one who is worthy of our worship and our affection and who will not abuse our image or abuse sex. And that's the Lord, right? He restores things the enemy distorts. And so I just want to give you three really quick action steps from scripture uh, that will help you stop idolizing uh, your image and sex. This goes two things go together um, and lead you instead to worshiping the Lord. All right, so I do also want to ask you this question. This is not in my notes, but what are, like, what do you think about? Like, ask yourself, like, think about your thinking for just a second. I know it's a weird question. Think about what, what are your thoughts consumed of? Is it all about you? Is it about what you're wearing, what you're saying, your friends, your Instagram, whatever, who you're Snapchatting, how many streaks you have, the newest TikTok dance? Like, I don't know what it is, right? But like, what is it? Like, what are your thoughts consumed of? Because that is what you are idolizing. And only you can answer that question because you're the only person that knows your thoughts besides the Lord. But I will challenge you, right, to replace your thinking with godly thinking. And so here's how you do that. First, you need to repent. It starts with repentance. It starts at the feet of, of Jesus. Ezekiel 14, 1 through 6. These are, I wish I had time to really walk you through this whole passage, but it's talking about the Israelites were very idolatrous people. Um, they would follow literal idols um, instead of the Lord. And so um, Ezekiel saying, Then the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, these men have set up idols in their hearts. Again, it's a heart issue, all right? Um, what you idolize is a heart issue, and put wicked stumbling blocks before their faces. Should I let them inquire of me at all? Therefore speak to them and tell them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. When any of the Israelites set up idols in their hearts and put a wicked stumbling block before their faces, then go to a prophet. I, the Lord, will answer them myself in keeping with their great idolatry. And look what the Lord will do. Look, This is what the Lord says. He says, I will do this to recapture the hearts of people of Israel. He wants to recapture your heart tonight for him. He doesn't want you to idolize whatever it is you idolize. He wants to recapture your heart and look how he does it. But look what he asks of you. He says, therefore say to the people of Israel, this is what the sovereign Lord says. He says, repent, turn from your idols and renounce all your detestable practices. And look, when you repent, this is the hope. First John 1, 9 says that if we confess our sins, which is repentance, saying, Lord, I'm, I'm sorry for idolizing my image and my sex over you. When we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us, right, of all of our unrighteousness, because he's good. That's who he is, right? So it starts with admitting that you have made sex or your image into an idol and repenting of that. And the thing is, y'all, there's hope that you can start that tonight night, right? If the Lord is, is convicting you right now of, um, of, of idolizing yourself, other people, or letting other people tell you who you should be instead of t- scripture telling you who you should be, then you can ask for repentance right now between you and the Lord. And God's going to restore you. Um, so I encourage you to, um, to not let the devil win and choose, and choose the Lord tonight. Choose repentance. The second thing is you need to replace the lies with God's truth. The second thing is you need to replace the lies 
with God's truth. So number one was repent. Number two is replace the lies with God's truth. Second Timothy three sixteen through 17 says that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction. And he can correct your thinking. If you think about uh, negatively about your body or about other people's bodies, guess what? The Lord can correct your thinking. He's big. He can do that. And for training in righteousness, that um, the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Psalms 119.11, you just should memorize this verse. It says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So how do you not sin? You store God's word in your heart. You know the truth over the lies that the enemy will throw at you. And lastly, Psalms 119.105 that says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So you have to know what God's word says about your worth, about your body, about your gender, and about your sexuality which are two different things. We could talk about that all night. But right. But here's the thing, though, is that the Bible gives you answers on these things. It talks about all of these topics. But the thing is, we don't study the Bible, so we don't know it, so we can't believe it. <laughs> we don't know it to begin with it. So I encourage you, right, is to um, study it, memorize it, in order to know it and believe it, all right, to replace those lies with truth. And the last thing I could give you is to run, at, run after God's kingdom, Run after God's kingdom. That's the only thing that's going to last. <laughs> this world is going to wait. It's, it's going to end, right? So run after eternal things. Um, Galatians 1.10 says, Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? That gets a lot of us, right? Pleasing people, wanting to please our boyfriend, our girlfriend, right? Wanting to please whatever expectation culture has given us this week, Right? That's what we're running after. That's not, you can't do both. You can't please people and please God. Guess what? The Bible ends up being offensive most of the time, right? You're not going to please a lot of people if you're really going to follow Jesus. And so, but it's worth it. It really is. Matthew 6.33 says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So ultimately, when you pursue God's kingdom, you are going to pursue, uh, you're pursuing the Lord and that is going to satisfy you. The most. It's going to satisfy you more than looking like whatever, like have someone off a magazine. It's going to satisfy you more than sex. It will. It really will. And it's going to bring most glory to the Lord. And that's your purpose. So that's all I have. Absolutely. I want to say a quick word on that. Yeah, praise God. Amen. Yeah, that's God's truth. Amen. Yeah. And uh, I want to say a quick word on that. You know, let me tell you something. You, you listen to that stuff about Netflix and that we're in the golden age and you think about mood and you think about all these things in our culture and and I just I can't help you know I'm millennial I know we have a lot of millennials in Gen Z in here I can't help but think how how our generation has become so numb to it haven't we like we have become thank you we've become so numb to what our culture is pushing on us when it comes to sex and our bodies and comparison so much that we we allow ourselves to be saturated with the culture thinking the culture won't change us but if we are saturated with the culture we will be changed by the culture. Do you understand that? And I want you to understand this. Whatever you allow to saturate you is what you will use to satisfy you. If God's word is what saturates you, if God's word and prayer is what you run to at your lowest, if it's what you choose to go to when you are not just at your lowest, but when you're on a high, when you're on a mountaintop, if you're going to God's word and you're going to prayer and you are saturating yourself in that, you will find your satisfaction in that. But if you are allowing TikTok if you are allowing Instagram, if you are allowing the approval of man, if you're allowing pleasing your boyfriend or your girlfriend sexually to saturate your life, don't be surprised when you go looking for your satisfaction in it. 
But if you would turn, and I promise you it's so simple, if you would turn from that and turn to God's word and turn to prayer, you would find so much freedom. So much freedom. Our God is not a God who puts us in chains. He is a God who breaks chains. God did not, you know, we do word of the day. This is my last one. I'm coming back to the panel. My last one, we do word of the day. And my word of the day today was victory. Victory. And the reason why is because when you are walking with Jesus Christ, he has called you into victory over sin. But too many of us are living as victims to sin. He has called you to live in victory. So live in that. So now let's talk about pornography. It's real. It's present. It's all over our culture. We got to talk about it. We got to call it what it is. Pastor Sean, I'm going to turn this over to you, brother. You have ministered to many families from different backgrounds. In what ways have you seen pornography affect families, college-age students, and then what are some practical action steps to overcome that? Well, it goes back to uh, just I've seen, I've seen guys, man, just tormented uh, by shame and hurt and, and, and want to break free from it. And I, and I realize when you think about the spiritual aspect of what's going on dealing with sexual immorality or pornography, uh, Ephesians 6, 12 says this, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. All right, it, it, sexual immorality all of it is bigger than what we think that it is, and especially the spiritual aspect of it. And when you think about the spiritual aspect of things, all right, that is far bigger than the natural. You know, when you think about who God is, God is spirit. And, uh, you know, God said, let there be, you know, and then there was in the natural. So we have to realize when it comes down to pornography and the effects that, that it has on all of us, the, the grips, how it grips a person's uh, mental, how it grips a person emotionally, uh, that that spiritual aspect is so very critical in overcoming the torment of, of pornography. And, and I've seen also when it comes down to lust, lust of the heart is never satisfied. Uh, when, when pornography is, is in the picture, a lot of times it grabs people at a young age, five, six, seven, even eight, ten years old, and they struggle with that for a very long time. And, and what it does is that it, it hijacks the brain where uh, the, the chemicals that, that are in your brain that allows you to be happy or whatever and it hijacks your brain and, and people deal with that and it gets worse and worse and worse because what uh, help you, what aroused you in the beginning is not gonna do it anymore, so you need something more. Then once you see that over and over again, you're gonna need something more. So it gets, it gets worse and worse and worse. And I, I've seen it you know, just devastate you know, lives uh, because of this um, uh, level of of uh, chemical in their brain that they're trying to reach, uh, that it, it goes into, like we talked about earlier, even pedophilia. Uh, when you think about bestiality, because it always wants more. It, it never, ever, ever, ever satisfies. So you have, you have that piece, you have the harassing thoughts, um, you know, you have uh, distrust one day when you do get married. Uh, sometimes people think marriage, you know, stops you know, the pornography addiction. Uh, and, and in many cases, it doesn't. And it causes distrust and it, and it causes hurt. And that hurt develops, you know, into anger. 
because of you being hurt, because, you know, a person think that they're, you know, they're not worth uh, you stopping or they're not, they're not valued and they're worth and that, that hurt. And then that hurt develops, you know, into anger and then that anger develops into bitterness. So I've seen, I've seen uh, pornography, you know, destroy and just the, the hearts and minds of people. But it goes back to that spiritual aspect of what's going on, man. You have to attack it in the spiritual, which leads to the, the next question is, you know, how can we overcome it? You know, and I've, I've learned uh, how, you over, uh, how you overcome sexual immorality is that you run. <laughs> you run from it, period. It says, and I want to read for you here in uh, 2 Timothy 2.22. It says, run from anything that stimulates youthful lust. It says, instead, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Enjoy the companionship of those uh, who call on the Lord uh, with pure hearts. So you, you run from sexual immorality, uh, but not only run from sexual immorality, man, that you resist the enemy, all right? And in, in, in James 4, it said, 4, 7, James 4, 7 says, so humble yourself before God, resist the devil, and he will flee. You have to understand dealing with pornography, dealing with sexual immorality and, and anything that you face. There are three enemies that are working against you uh, ever since you were born into this world. All right. That first enemy goes back to Satan. Right. He's a fallen angel. He's real. And, and even when you're dealing with demonic uh, spirits. Right. Understand that they are very much real uh, and, and they have been influencing, you know, people. Uh, for a very long time, and even you, like I said, the spiritual aspect is far greater than you think. It's far greater. Like I said, you know, God said, let there be, then there is just the spiritual aspect of what's going on. So you need to recognize that if you're going to overcome it, because that's how you're going to have to attack it in the, in the, in the spiritual. So you have the fallen angel, you have, uh, the, uh, you know, uh, the devil and, and demons are working against you. But not only that, you have your, your, yourself, right? You, you are human beings, Right. And, uh, and because of our selfish nature, all of us have an issue with self and the gratification of self. And, uh, and, and, and we are naturally bent to do wrong. So you have the enemy. All right. You have yourself, but you also have the context of, of the world, which you guys heard already. You know, you've been hearing stuff and seeing stuff, like I said, from this age on up, guys. So and it affects you. Therefore, that's why you need the word to transform your heart, to transform your mind and not to be compressed into the context of the world. And this is how you can overcome that. So understand it. Acknowledge it. A, you need to run, run from sexual immorality, flee from it. Your eyes and make, make sure you watch what you're what you're looking at. You resist the enemy. All right. But then you also you replace it. So not just, you know, hide your eyes from it and don't see it true enough. You need to do that, all right? But then you need to replace it. And Ephesians 4, 22 uh, through 24 says this. It says, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupt by lust and deception. Instead, let the spirit renew your thoughts and attitude. Put on your, put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. So what you do is remove and then you add. And, uh, and, and the most important thing I want you to add, and there's, there's so much more. I'm trying to ask God to give me wisdom on what to share with you guys. And, and hopefully we can talk more. But once you, you know, take off and you put on, the most important thing you put on is that relationship. And you know what helps me to do what God wants me to do more than anything else is my relationship with him. Because I don't want to sacrifice my relationship with him with anything else. 
because it's my relationship with him is what brings joy and peace and wisdom. It's, the, it's me uh, gazing up on his face to see who he is and then living that out each and every day, abiding at his feet. All right. And him, you know, speaking to my heart and him uh, showing me, you know, in here and then showing me in here what life is all about. So when, when I compare my relationship with him and then all the other junk that sometimes to try to rob that away from me, you know, I don't want to sacrifice what I have with him for this. You see what I'm saying? And, and, and by God's grace, he allows me to do that, uh, to see that beauty in, in him. And also when it comes down to my wife and the respect I have for her, not only them, but what about my kids? I got four kids, you know, and I want to instill into them truth because pornography and sexual immorality, it hijacks you. It hijacks, see, the trick is, you know, it, it, it'll show you this. It's like a, I don't know if you've ever seen a fly that, 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 that's flying to its death when it has a little glowing uh, electric thing and that fly flies to that electric thing and it looks so good to them. And once they get it, once they get there and it electrocutes them. That's what sexual immorality is because the, 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 the hook is sex is fun and it's good. And that's, there's nothing wrong with sex in the right context. That's the beauty of sex. We thank God for it, right? But out of context, which is a perversion, that's what the enemy does. He perverts the truth. So now when he distorts and perverts the truth, now he has people chasing what they think they really want, the chemical level dumping into their mind and think that it's going to satisfy them, and it never will. You will want more. And it, will, and it will begin to consume you and take your life and all those who are around you because it will suck the life out of them. So that's, that's what I've seen. Thank you. I think it's such a good reminder that it is not... Oh, sorry, Pastor Ben, go ahead. If I can just speak truth to my brothers in Christ that are in here. Um, my brothers in Christ that are struggling with pornography right now, I'm going to tell you a lie that, that I believed um, and that you're, that you're holding on to right now. And it's this, that as soon as I get married, I'll be done with it. And that is a lie from the enemy. Whatever sexual sin that you're struggling with now, if you don't deal with it now, you're going to carry it into your marriage. So brothers, stop believing this lie that you're going to, as soon as I can have sex with the one I love and the one that God has for me, I won't have to deal with this anymore, you are, that you are believing a lie and a trap and you will carry it into your marriage. Deal with it now. That is exactly what Sean was talking about. And I, feel, I just know from experience when you walk through that, it never leaves you until you really deal with it. Yeah. Stop believing the lie of the enemy. And I don't know who that's for tonight, but when he, he mentioned it, I just said, we got to come back to that because that is, the, that is a tool that the enemy used in my life. Yeah. And you don't want to carry that into your marriage. You don't want to have to look at your wife in the eye and walk through that. Why would you do that? I, I, but I just need to... Do, yeah. That's you. for somebody... Stop believing the lie. That's all I got to say. Yeah, amen.
just like Pastor Ben and um, Pastor Sean said, it isn't just a physical battle. The ultimate battle is a spiritual one. And so to fight that, to fight it, if you do not have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, if you do not have the help um, and just the power of God within you, you will fight a losing battle. So that's why you need to have him in you and through you at all times. Um, and it's not just for men, it's for women as well. So Grace, my question is, um, in pornography, is not just something that men struggle with, but also for girls. How do girls fall into lust in pornography and what are the effects that it has on us? How does it affect us as a wife one day in our marriages? Yeah. So here's the dear girls. Um, no one wants to talk about this. All right? No one, no girl wants to talk about pornography. But TikTok's talking about it. Snapchat's talking about it. Instagram's talking about it. So it's time we start talking about it. It's time the, char- the church starts talking about it. It's an issue. Guys, and let me just start here. Women deal with pornography because women are sinful just like men, right? We deal with sexual desires just like guys. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned. Hey, pornography is a sin. We have all sinned, right? And pornography is a stronghold of men and women. And as Hannah, as so many have talked about, we live in a sexual culture where pornography is normal, so why, why would you think that girls don't fall into lust, into the temptation to be addicted to pornography? Right, girls, we struggle with this. And it's time we start bringing awareness to that. Right, lust at its core is the focus of pleasing oneself. All of us have fallen in that, of pleasing ourselves for something or someone. But the problem is we don't see that as a sin. Because our culture has shifted our Christian brain so much that we think pleasing ourselves is a good thing. Guys, and so we don't call it sin. We don't call lust sin. Girls, we do not call lust sin anymore. It's normal. And let me just, just say, growing up, pornography was just a guy issue, right? How, in church, growing up, I never heard pornography being a girl issue. It was always like, hey, the guys are going to go talk about pornography. But when I was, when I was a young girl and I became addicted to pornography, right, I thought I was alone. I thought that I was the only girl in the world that struggled with it because no one talked about it. I thought that it was better to stay silent because talking about it was too scary and it was too taboo. Right? I thought that it was better to be silent and live in the shame. But it's not, girls. But the sad thing is, because we have lived in such a sexual culture, today the statistics are, for most, the attitude of most Christian Gen Z girls is, what's the big deal? Every girl struggles with pornography. What a shift. I have, I'm the last year of the millennial. Right? What a shift to Gen Z. What a shift. Statistics say that 64% of 13 to 24-year-olds actively watch porn every week or more often. It says teenage and college girls are significantly more likely to seek out porn than 25-year-old and above. Guys, one-third of all porn users are women. 
40 million people a day look at porn, and one-third of them are women. So let me just say, it's an issue. So how, how does this affect us, girls? Right? And how do, how do we even fall into it? And let me just say first, women struggle because they are living to satisfy their flesh, spending seven to eight hours a day on media. Right? We're not only seeing pornographic Im- images, but we are having a culture tell us that we should engage in sexual activities. It's telling us that it's better, that it's pleasing. Right? Porn is so easy to have pleasure from it. And we don't see it as an issue. Secondly, is women run to porn because they are seeking intimacy and they're lonely. Right? And from that, they're relying on porn to fill a void in their life with a quick pleasure fix. Right? They want to escape a reality and turn to a coping mechanism right? that just is trying to numb a pain for the real issue that you are dissatisfied in the Lord. You don't have satisfaction in the Lord. Thirdly, is past sexual abuse often leads women to run to porn because they think it's safer, right? They think it's less painful. They think that it's less harmful and less sinful. And often from that, it's hard for someone with trauma to bond with someone and so they go to a quick temporary relief. And finally, is women are often curious why guys are so attached to porn. And so they begin to look at porn to see what those women look like. How do those women satisfy men? And from that, many women become addicted to pornography because of the dopamine that it gives our brain. It gives us pleasure. And so our mind says, this is good. Porn is an addiction right? And you keep having to feed and feed and feed that addiction. And guys, for girls, the one thing that you hated, you're now addicted to. Guys, the, the sex trafficking industry, the child trafficking industry is on a rise right now. Did y'all know that the porno- pornography feeds that industry? And so girls, the thing that we post about on Instagram as, oh my gosh, this is awful, sex trafficking. If you're watching pornography 20 minutes later, you're literally feeding the industry that you're talking out about. That's a big deal. Paul talks about sexual immorality a lot. We've heard so many different verses that say, flee, 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 abstain from sexual immorality. We see it says, put to death. Right? Scripture is so clear that sexual immorality is a big deal. We see that lust is sin. And the effect is that, here's the effects. Porn leaves girls more lonely, more dissatisfied, more ashamed, and more broken than before. Girls who are addicted to pornography are more likely to be sexually assaulted. They're more likely to have eating disorders, more likely to have multiple sexual partners, and the, the rates say that when you get married, if you take that into marriage, you are more likely to get divorced because you're less satisfied with your husband. So let me just say it's a big deal for women, for college students, for high school students, and for my middle school students that open up about their pornography struggles at the age of 12, 11, 13. It's a big de- deal because it's not just a sex culture 
They are now struggling with an addiction. Guys, it's an issue and the conversation needs to start. So to talk about how that affects you as a wife, Ephesians 5, Paul talks about imitating Christ. And he says, be imitators of God. Don't let sexual immorality be named among you. Later he says in verse 8 through 13, walk as children of light. Try not to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. And when it becomes visible, guys, for anything that is visible is light. And this is all leading, Paul's all leading this up to talking about wives, husbands, and marriage. As a wife, we can't take the habit of porn into marriage. I want you all to write this down. Christian women who are addicted struggle to see their role to imitate the bride of Christ. Christian women who are addicted struggle to see their role to imitate the bride of Christ while actively choosing to be a slave to porn. Right? You see your role as the slave to porn instead of your role as the bride of Christ who is pure before the Lord. I spoke with a married friend of mine um, as I was preparing and studying, and I was asking her about how porn, how it hurts marriage and how it hurts her as a wife or hurts her husband. And she said, girls who go into marriage with a habit of porn are less satisfied by their husband. They go in carrying loads of shame and guilt. You'll compare yourself to what you've seen and what you imagine your husband has seen, and nobody wins. God never meant all that to come into the marriage bed. So you, don't, so you don't have the sex life he intended for you. It lacks deep spiritual intimacy. Porn, like all other sins, has consequences. right? And the devil tries to get you to not think about that in the moment. So girls, I'll say one more time. Porn's a big deal. Porn's a big deal. And the first step is repentance, right? And then you got to tell someone. you got to tell someone that you're struggling, right? And from that, you can begin to walk through the steps of healing. Seek out accountability. Get rid of whatever it is. If it's your smartphone, get rid of it, right? If it's your laptop, if it's your Netflix account, if it's YouTube, get rid of it. And guys, the shame and guilt that you have it was nailed to the cross. If you've accepted Christ, that shame and that guilt can no longer have a hold over you. Right? You have, you have healing that is right in front of you. If you have accepted Jesus, you have no shame and no guilt over you. When you repent, that is gone, and you can walk out in freedom. And let me tell you, girls, it takes, it takes time. But that healing will come, I promise Right? And you can go into marriage one day being healed from that. But you got to do that now. Don't take that into marriage. I promise you. <laughs> it will lead you more broken and less satisfied. Right? So start now. Become that woman and that wife that God intended for you. Can I add to that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, if I can add to that. Yes. Awesome. There's a difference between sex and intimacy. And the Lord created you for intimacy. And with that comes emotion. 
And it's not about what you can get from the other person, but what you can give the other person. And our culture has reversed that and has distorted that. But when you get married, you want someone that you can trust and that you can love and that you can ultimately be intimate with. That's what the Lord calls us, to be intimate with, with him, right? And that's not just uh, having sex. And so non-emotional sex, right? And that's what porn is. It's non-emotional sex, right? That, that's not, again, that's not God's intention. So I don't have a lot to go into that, but look up the difference um, on your own. Do some studying about the difference between intimacy and sex, as that's important, especially in marriage. So good. I want to take a shift here. We're going to shift to dating. I know that there's a lot of college students in the room who maybe you are in a relationship. Maybe you're going into a relationship. You're getting ready to start one. Uh, some of you are getting ready to ring by spring, right? Some of you guys are getting ready to be married soon, or you're like, hopefully. <laughs> some of you guys are like crossing your fingers. You know, there's, we're in relationships with people we date, and statistics show those who struggle with pornography are much more likely to struggle with sex before marriage. And many of us know, especially if we're in relationships or hooking up or any of those kind of things, that when we are in a relationship with someone, even if it's a Christian relationship, when we know that we're going to marry that person, all of a sudden temptation gets a lot harder, doesn't it? All of a sudden it's a lot more difficult to walk away. And what we do is, as Christians, you know it as well as I do, we start pressing those lines. And we say, okay, it's okay for me to go to this line, but I'm going to stop there. I'm not going to go any further. But what you find happen in your relationship is you get to that line, and then just like Pastor Sean was saying, you want to go further. And so I want to talk about that. Floyd, I'm going to turn it over to you, man. I want you to talk a little bit just about kind of what effects you see uh, people have when they have sex before marriage, when pornography leads to actions, and then what ways for those who are in a relationship or are getting ready to go into a relationship, what ways can they set up boundaries or put boundaries into place to overcome that temptation. Perfect. Uh, I'm going to be very short and sweet. Uh, I could talk to you guys all night about sexual immorality and pornography and the struggles of those things, but if I don't talk to you about the root and how we get there, then I don't think we can go deeper into this conversation. So I believe it's a thing called vulnerability that gets us to the point where we start to struggle with things of such called sexual immorality and pornography. Um, there's a saying, I'm not sure if you guys heard the saying, but it says that curiosity killed the cat. Well, I added something to that saying. If curiosity killed the cat, it was her big sister vulnerability that invited the cat over. Because vulnerability, um, that's something that we struggle with. We don't talk about, we don't speak about it. But the truth is, a vulnerable heart creates a curious mind. I'll say it one more time. A vulnerable heart creates a curious mind. We're vulnerable. Um, let me speak more about my life, uh, more about my experiences, and that way you can feel like I, we can reach somewhere, we can go somewhere with this. Uh, for me, I grew up um, where it, the thing was that if a girl was too close to you when we was in first grade, that was cooties. By the time we got to the sixth grade, uh, it was if she kissed you on your cheek, you was close to being a man. But by the time we got to middle school, the, the next talk was the rite of passage of being a man was to go ahead and go forward with having sex. Nothing that we knew about because where I came up, uh, where I grew up in my house, my parents just said this, sex is bad. 
That's it. And they left it at that. And I think that's the issue when it comes to mental health and sex. It's so taboo. We don't talk about it. We just say it's bad and we think that's going to uh, help us. But when we get to college or when we get older and for you guys, you you're a little bit more advanced than I am. Um, at you all's age, you see a way more than what we had. Um, social media is very broad and shows so much. We didn't have social media um, when I was coming up, where at least at that point it was MySpace, and MySpace wouldn't allow you to do as much as TikTok and Instagram let you do. Um, but in still, um, with those different things, I got to college and I joined a fraternity, so six is always continuously coming my way. And so those things came, but I realized why was sex so uh, pleasurable? Why why did it look so, um, what would I say, like a gift? Why, why did it look like it should be meaningful for my life? Because I was vulnerable. I was trying to fill this void within myself, this void that if I had sex, then I would feel loved. If I have sex, then I would be a man. Like, that would give me manhood. That would put me up there in top rank. So in high school, I had it in my mind that if I had this many girls, if I did all these different things with this many girls, then that would put me in a position where it made me more of a man. But what I realized, I was just continuously messing with my mental because the more I got into having a relationship with my now wife, those things will get brought back up. And that's something we could talk about later on. But as we go deeper into this thing called vulnerability, when you get in a serious relationship, there's going to be moments where you're going to get vulnerable. I'm just going to be honest with you. Even when you get married, you're going to get vulnerable. You don't get away from it. When you accept Jesus Christ, you're still going to be vulnerable. That's why I respect Paul so much, because he says it in um, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 through 10. Um, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weakness and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. The issue is none of us like to call ourselves weak. We all want to play macho man. We all want to be Wonder Woman. We all want to have it all together. We are boss. All those different phrases that we throw out there. But the truth is we all get vulnerable. But the issue is sex seems like the answer to those vulnerable moments, that void. We feel it because that five minutes of pleasure, it feels good, right? But guess what? At the end of the day, it leads to something at the end. And so you're putting some a blockage in your life that you don't even understand yet. And it's going to play a part when you get in this serious relationship. Um, and I've seen friends that have issues where they get married and they start thinking about some of the exes that they were with. And it's like my wife, um, she don't do what my ex do uh, used to do. And it causes issues in the comparison and all those different things. And it started to create more issues within a marriage and it separates the um, couple, the marriage. And this is how um, Pastor Sean said a fly going to electric, um, what it was, electric shop. This is what I look at um, sex outside of marriage and outside the will of God. It's like the matrix. You get the red pill and you get the blue pill. <laughs> you can either take one pill that says stay a virgin till you get married, or you can get the um, other pill, and that pill is have sex, and you think you made it. You think you're a man. You think you grown. You think you, are, you got it all together. But the truth is it opens up a world that you will never be able to understand if you do it outside the will of God. Because I can tell you as a married person, sex is not bad. The issue is how you experience sex is what makes it bad if you experience it outside the will of God. 
And so, like I said, you open your life into this matrix. I wish I could stand before you and tell you that when I met my wife, I could share myself with her in that moment of marriage of being a virgin, but I couldn't. But the grace that Paul spoke of, the grace of God is like leftovers. Uh, some of you guys probably never had to experience leftovers, but leftovers, for an example, is like on um, Monday, the dinner that your mom made on Sunday that you eat again. But the leftovers that I had become was the one on Tuesday where it was only a little bit left. Only a little bit left. But because of God grace, what he did with those leftovers and how my mama used to do, she would take those leftovers and put them on a plate and it still made it a meal enough to fulfill me and be able to keep going on by my way. And so for my wife, she gets that leftovers, but because it's God grace that covers it, because I'm just a bunch of leftovers at the end of the day, but it's God grace that covers me to allow me to fulfill my wife. So I say all that to say in a relationship, you guys don't want to be a le be leftovers. You don't want to be the leftovers on Tuesday. You want to be the full course meal on Sunday. And that's what you want to stay. You don't want to put yourself out there. Now, if you've experienced it, hey, you got, like they said, been saying, what better time than now? Today is the day to change it all over, to start all over, because God's grace is granted every day you wake up and have breath in your body. But I want you guys to start addressing vulnerability. That's something. If you're vulnerable, get you some accountability partner that can stand beside you and pray with you. Self-control is not about controlling self. Self-control is having the, the ideal or the understanding, the wisdom that I need some people in place to help me when it comes to myself, I know my weakness. Now, don't get you any friends that had the same weakness because in the end, you guys will be at the same party doing the same thing. But what I'm trying to tell you guys, address vulnerability before you get married. Right now, even though it's going to happen in marriage, get people in your life that are accountable, that will hold you accountable. So as you go through that relationship, they will help you walk through it. Man, that's so good. That's real good. Yes, let's give God some glory for that. Amen. Hey, I got two questions left for Ben and Hannah. We're going to have to move quick on them. But stay on that line of dating, Ben. I want to go to you. Uh, for the guys in the room, what's a godly way to pursue a girl? Uh, what does that look like? Yeah, I, I, when I looked at this question, I went to Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. It says, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of other, others. This is a simple passage to understand. You, can't, you don't have to worry about interpreting it. It says what it says. It means what it means. But it's difficult to live out. Guys, listen. If you begin every relationship that you have and you try to pursue these verses, you're going to end up with healthy relationships because you're putting your needs on the back burner and the needs of others on the front. Now, godly advice on how to pursue a, uh, how to pursue a girl. Are y'all ready for this? Don't. Don't pursue a girl. Pursue Jesus. All right? Now, that's advice that none of you are going to take. And none of y'all are going to listen to me. But I want you to hear what I'm saying. Out of your pursuit of Jesus, God will bring you to the one you're to marry. If you are focused on him, if you are focused on him and your relationship with him, in the midst of that pursuit, you're going to meet somebody. And you're going to see what God has for you. So don't pursue him. And I wholeheartedly believe that if you do that, you'll find the one that you're supposed to marry. And what you do when you pursue Christ instead of pursuing a relationship, you relieve a lot of stress 
and pressure that comes with relationships and marriage and intimacy. Follow Christ. I got some action steps. Number one, follow Jesus and pray. Pray for your future spouse. Begin now asking Christ for your future spouse. Step number two, it's important. Follow Jesus. Did y'all get that? Step one, follow Jesus and pray. Step two, follow Jesus and begin with friendship. Begin with friendship. Go out in groups and get to know them when, when your dating is not on the table at all. Because when you do that, you get to know the real them. And girls, this is important for you to understand. On the first date, the guys are liars. Okay? Ask any wife. Okay? So make sure that you get to know one another outside of a dating relationship before you ever pursue dating them. And you'll make sure that they're not faking it. Every guy here always fakes it the first few dates. All right. Number three, follow Jesus and lead in the relationship. Guys, we have a culture that says it's not our place to lead in relationships. And what we have done is we have given up that, that opportunity to lead. And what we need is men who are willing to lead in their relationship. How can you do that? Lead in prayer. It needs to be you saying, let's pray about what God's doing in this relationship. Lead in conversation. Guys, don't leave it up to the ladies to be the one to ask deep, vulnerable questions in those, those opportunities where you can be honest with one another. Lead in physical boundaries. Guys, you set the stage on the first date. These are things that I'm not going to do with my future wife. I'm going to wait until I get married to kiss. I know y'all... All right, show of hands, who wants to, who's going to do that for me? Right now, I'm, I'm going to say I'm not going to kiss before I get married, and none of y'all going to raise your hand, I know. But guys, lead in those boundaries. And if you can't trust yourself, never be alone. Lead in those boundaries, and then lead with honor and respect. She is a child of God, a daughter of the Most High King, and when you take advantage of her in an intimate way, you are disgracing her. And you need to honor her and you need to respect her. And when you do that, when you get married, she will have no problem following your lead. So guys, we got to lead in our relationships. Follow Jesus and pray. Follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. And God will bless that relationship. That's how we can lead and we can begin to pursue girl, a girl in a godly way. Thank you. Good. So, Hannah, for us girls, what advice would you give to women who are being pursued by a guy as he pursues Jesus? And what are some practical ways that we can pursue holiness within a relationship? I'll just echo what Ben said, that it starts with your own personal relationship with the Lord. Ladies, you have to be spending time with the Lord in prayer and in studying um, and studying his word, right? Um, you should be pursuing the Lord first and foremost. And so, but I want to give you just a couple of practical things as a survivor of the dating um, stage. Um, a couple of things I learned in dating would be, you got that joke, BG, just now I saw you, is, <laughs> is um, the first would just be, be yourself, all right? Be yourself. And so um, it's really easy, right, to change your personality or change the way you are to try to attract a guy. Um, marriage is a long time, <laughs> 
<laughs> right? And so you, you really can't keep that up for that long. You don't want to, okay? And so um, I like to, I have kind of an issue with Amazon shopping. And like I like to shop. I don't like to go to stores. I like to shop on Amazon. And so um, if I tried to hide that from Daniel, right, like it just isn't going to work because he'll come home and he sees, you know, packages and, and, you know, we share a bank account. Like you just can't keep up your deception, you know, and and that's what it is. When you're not yourself, you're deceiving the other person, right? And that's, uh, you know, that's, you're not being truthful. And so um, we don't really see dating in the Bible, Um, but the closest I could probably point you to would be in Genesis chapter 24, where you see um, the story of Isaac and Rebecca. And um, what catches the servant's eye, who's picking out a wife for um, Isaac, so not really dating, but kind of, um, what he notices about her is her kindness and how he, how she offers uh, him water to drink. But that's like, she doesn't know that this guy's going to introduce her to her future husband. Like she doesn't, she's just being herself. And so ladies don't um, do things out of self-promotion. Don't be kind to people. Don't share the gospel with people. Don't disciple people. Um, don't, you know, feed the homeless just because to try to get a guy's attention, all right? Because, again, at the end of the day, that's, it's not going to work, and that's sinful, and the Lord's not going to honor that. So um, just be yourself. And, y'all, it's really sweet when, it, when the man just, he loves you for you. Right, again, marriage is a long time, so you want to, you know, be real with each other because you're going to be with each other a while. So be yourself. And then the second one would be uh, <laughs> the second. What am I done? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Help. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Number two would just be be wise. So in Scripture, ladies, um, again, I don't have time to break it down, but there are two women that Proverbs talks about, the Proverbs 7 woman and the Proverbs um, 31 woman, and they're very different. The Proverbs 7 woman is seductive. Um, she dresses seductive. They're both married. Um, I think they can teach us a lot about dating, too. The um, the Proverbs woman is seductive in the way she dresses and the way she talks. She doesn't really work. She just waits around looking for um, men that she can tempt. And um, on the other hand, in contrast, there's the Proverbs 31 woman who uh, what she she dresses, she, she speaks kindly. Her husband loves her. He honors her because she works hard. And so the biggest difference between the two when you study them is that the Proverbs 31 woman, she fears the Lord. And because she fears the Lord, she pursues the Lord and she's not pursuing a man even in marriage. My job as a wife is not to pursue Daniel, it's to pursue the Lord. That's my first and that's my first job. And so it's to love Daniel, but that love can only come from the Lord. And so um, the Proverbs 31 woman also works hard. She understands that, again, life is more than a guy. And so she is, um, she's not trying to put herself in positions to be, to be noticed. Um, and she's not changing her life to be around a guy. She's doing what the Lord's called her to do. Um, and so do some studying with that, but be wise. Um, Set good boundaries um, and um, make sure that you, again, it goes back to, like, how are you dressing and speaking, ladies? You know, just be appropriate and do what honors God um, and pursue him first. So wisdom. The third thing would be guard your heart. Guard your heart. Um, Proverbs 4.23 says, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. And this is where it comes with emotional maturity. All right? And we could spend a lot of time here. Um, Guard means to protect and shield. And in Hebrew, what's interesting is that the word heart means your feelings, but it could also mean your thought life. And a lot of times your emotions and your thoughts are connected. And the Lord says to guard those. So ladies, look, if you're not emotionally mature, you probably don't need to be dating yet. And so, because in dating, there's a lot of emotions that come into play. And you have to know how to handle your emotions biblically um, in order to 
have a healthy God-centered relationship. And so um, I'll tell you a quick story. But when we were dating, Daniel, it, <laughs> this would always make me so mad. But we, we would be, I lived in Alabama, so we would um, be away from each other for Christmas for a long time. And he was horrible texter, like horrible. And like would spend like, like I'd send him like a text and then like three, four, five, sometimes six hours later, he'd finally respond. And I'm like in Alabama getting mad. I'm like, oh my gosh, like what is he doing? And, uh, and like I, mean, I know he's like spending time with his family, which is good. But I'm like, he could respond to a text, like come on. You know, and so this emotion. Emotion, though of anger turned into like angry thoughts which ended up turning into like passive aggressive text messages <laughs> or like that night when we finally talked on the phone right I would be mad and we'd have a, a horrible conversation instead of a you know of, of a life-giving conversation and so if I had handled my emotions biblically I could have um, you know I could have prevented that James 1 19 through 20 says Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So if I had done that, if I had biblically taken charge of my emotions, then I could have had a much sweeter conversation with him um, than an, a selfish one. And so... Um, also, just remember that you're not married yet when you're dating, so don't emotionally or mentally pretend that you are married, all right? Guard against that, all right? Uh, and the way you do that is memorize scripture, okay? So then um, I have three things really quickly. Fourth, surround yourself with godly people, all right? You need to have a counsel. You need to have people who are going to ask you hard questions about your dating relationship, physical boundaries. They need to, uh, they need, they need to be people you trust and people that you're okay um, talking honestly with. They need to be able to ask you about your feelings and if you are playing marriage or not. Um, and then they need to be able to speak on the guy's character, which means they need to know the guy. So got, ladies, if you're dating someone and the guy's always trying to isolate you, never wants to hang out with friends and family, I would say that's a red flag. All right, he needs to love the people you love. Okay, he needs someone to want to spend time around them as well. And so, um, and your friends and family will be able to really tell you. You know, they'll be able to see flaws that you're like you can't see because you know you're so in love. And so, um, you know, they'll be able to they'll be able to point those out. And so, there's really three things you need to look for in a guy, ladies. You need to have a guy be godly. They need to have high character, and then they have need to have good chemistry with you. Because again. Marriage is a long time, all right? You want to have some chemistry there. Um, and obviously, godliness and high character. And again, your friends and family can help you, like, determine those things. And uh, the fifth thing would be let the guy pursue you. I love how Ben talked about leadership. Let the guy be the pursuer because, again, in marriage, he's going to be the leader, and so you have to let him lead. Um, and then be patient, all right? I will say, I will preface that with, though, that in dating, um, he, you are not married yet, all right, so he doesn't get to lead in every area. So you do need to, there are some things you need to protect, and we can talk more about that one-on-one if you have questions about that. Um, but be, uh, be patient, ladies. It's a virtue. It's hard. <laughs> All right? I was, like, really ready to get engaged. I was like, come on. Come on, come on, you know. Well, I'm and trying to save up money. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying yeah. to get money together. Yeah, I got one Listen, more. Listen, I'm yeah. trying to and so, make some money. Rings cost. I, not, I can't yeah. just go to the little vending machine at CC's and get one. <laughs> like, and it just, money. like, with me, like, putting expectations on him, y'all, it just takes the joy out of all of it. So just be patient and enjoy the season that you're in, whether that's singleness, whether that's dating, whether that's engagement, married without kids, married with kids, whatever season you're in, right? Enjoy the one. Be present in the season that you're in. And then lastly, prayer. Pray, pray, pray. Um, your, again, it all goes back to your relationship with the Lord. But the Lord loves you. He cares about you. He sees you, ladies. He knows your heart's desires. And he wants good things for you. But be prayerful about it. Seriously, pray. He listens. So.
You want to add to that? Can I add one quick thing? To that, guys, I just want to say, as the single person up here, hey, your singleness, it's not about you. Okay, your singleness, like Hannah, like your singleness is about you, Paul says, having undevoted devotion to the Lord. And so I just want to leave that and say, hey, sexual immorality, that's about you. Your singleness is about the Lord. So spend this time now in your singleness to be sold out for the Lord, right? Become that woman, that wife, or that husband that you would desire to be one day, right? That's all I can say on that is be sold out and undevoted to the Lord.